But today we're in Psalm uh, 104, which we just read together. So that psalm is all about creation. When was the last time you were just amazed at the world around you? Maybe it was from a mountaintop looking out over a valley. Maybe you had just taken a, a nice hike through the forest with your family. Maybe it's when you're sitting at the beach, either by the ocean or by the lake, and you are just marvel at the creation around you. Uh, there's so much detail, so much diversity, and what we find in Scripture, what we find in Psalm 103, is that all of us, all of it, is telling us about God. When I uh, first graduated high school, I worked for a couple of years in my town's public library. My job there was a page, believe it or not, that was the title of my job, which I thought was pretty appropriate for a library. Uh, <laughs> And I got to be the one, I just had to shelve the books. So everyone dropped off their books, I went and found them in the right place. And it always amazed me that so many of the books in the reference section got checked out. Because when I would look at them, they had the most like boring titles imaginable. They would be like, The Private Life of Plants, or <laughs> you know, uh, behave, you know uh, Groundwater Resources in Burlington County, uh, The Practical Encyclopedia, of something or other and this or that. And, you know, these, these things were super technical, super detailed, and yet some people found them really interesting and were checking them out. Uh, and, you know, even if those books were really boring to me, maybe, or whatever, it kind of showed to me that, again, the world is an amazing, detailed place, and, uh, you know, I might not be interested in those kinds of things, but there are so many things in the world to find fascinating. There's so much diversity and detail in creation, we're only beginning to understand it. And all of life is teeming with detail. And so those books that I shelved in the library were just one tiny slice of the universe, that, but there's more out there than we could ever imagine. When we read the Bible, we learn that all this complexity and diversity is the result of God. It's the work of God. It was all-powerful and all-knowing. He made the world and called it very good. According to Genesis, God created all things, including you and me, for his glory. God is a master artist, and what he, what he has created reflects his power and his love. And in Psalm 104, if you were tracking with that as it was read through, we see the simple truth that God delights in the world that he has made. And he's inviting us to do the same thing. This psalm, if you kind of scan through it and look again at it, it loosely follows the order of the creation days, and it details at length God's glory in the world that he has made. And the psalmist is singing. He is led to praise God because he sees God's amazing power over creation. Now, that might seem kind of obvious to us. You know, after all, most of us know that God is creator, and sure, we sometimes, when we think about it, we remember to thank him for the things he's made. But that's not, you know, it's not just enough to sometimes think about it for the psalmist. Throughout scripture, uh, or throughout the psalm, we're, we're pointed to the details. We're pointed to the tiny details to see God's glory, power, and goodness. You know, throughout scripture, we're constantly pointed, pointed back to creation to understand who God is and our relationship to him. When talking about anxiety and prayer, Jesus pointed us to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field who are cared by their Heavenly Father. Uh, 
And so one thing you'll notice in the psalm is, like I said, the detail to which the writer goes. He doesn't give us some generic, God is the creator, but he goes and itemizes everything that he sees and gives God the glory for each individual thing. And I was really struck by that when I was reading this. You know, when I am stressed about the future or have things that I'm worried about, I can be so specific to itemize every little thing that's bothering me, every single thing, everything connected to it. I could give you a list of things a mile long, and I, I normally take that to prayer. I pray about each individual thing. But when it comes to praising God or giving him thanks, sometimes my prayers are just like, God, you're, you know, you're the creator. Um, you know, I say something simple like, thanks, God. I don't go to the same level of detail, the same level of specificity that I do about my own worries and concerns. Uh, and the same thing is true when I look at creation. I know that God is the creator. But this psalm shows us that our praise should be specific and detailed. When we do that, not only do we, do, not only do we give God his proper due, but I think we will actually see God's power more clearly. The more specific we get, the better we will understand it. If acknowledging God is the solution to our anxiety and our fears, then the more that we meditate on that, the more we think about it, the better off we'll be. So all this is to say, as we work back through the psalm, try to really think about the specific details that the psalmist highlights. See God's power in creation. This psalm uses some metaphors and imagery that might be unfamiliar to us, like calling the wind God's messenger. Uh, but as we reread parts of this, try to get inside the imagery. Try to think, what would that mean for the wind to be God's messenger? These are the kinds of questions that really open up the text and will open up our eyes to see God's glory. So in verses 1 to 9, skimming back again briefly through the psalm, we see that God rules over all creation. He's described as a master craftsman or builder who's constructing a palace, and that's the earth. It says, he stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beam of his chambers on the waters. It's like he's a builder. Verses 5 to 9 then describe how he sets the earth on foundations, another building term. He constructs boundaries for the mountains and valleys, he puts everything in its proper place. So the earth is pictured as God's royal residence. All the elements, then, are his servants. The clouds are chariots, according to verse 3. The wind is his messenger, and the fires are his ministers. God himself is pictured here as a royal king arrayed in splendor. He even wears light as a garment. That's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. But according to this, God is wearing light like a garment. The point of all this poetic language is to show us that if ancient kings, or if we, think we're really special because we got nice houses and a lot of money or whatever, they're nothing compared to God. He is the king of all the earth. These verses also make a passing reference to the flood. Uh, in verse 6, it says that God covered the earth with the deep as a garment. But then verse 9 says that he has set a boundary that it may not pass. So this is in fulfillment to his promise of, to Noah to never flood the whole earth again. God is the ruler of all creation. 
We see that nothing comes about by accident or chance. Uh, Even when God uses natural processes, he rules over all things. According to verse 7, even storms are turned away at his rebuke. He's the all-powerful God who wisely and justly rules over all things. Then continuing to verses 10 and 23, 10 to 23, we see that God not only rules over creation, but he gives good things to his creatures. Like an ancient king would give good gifts to his people, to his subjects, well, God is the, the royal king of creation who gives good things to his creatures. In verses 10 to 13, we see that the rivers and streams are given to animals to drink. Verses um, 14 to 15, God causes the plants to grow so that we have the things we need. Um, and what's really interesting in this, in all this, in all these verses, if God was pictured as a builder in those first verses, God is now pictured as a gardener who is causing the grass to grow, who is causing good things to come out of creation. This is all showing his fatherly love for creation. Uh, and of course, it's interesting that God is depicted as a gardener because creation culminated in a garden. Verse 10 describes how God controls the rivers and describes them almost like an irrigation system, watering the lands and giving life. Verse 14, he causes the grass to grow and cultivates good things from the earth. All the animals find their place and build their homes. You might have noticed the verse about rock badgers and mountain goats, but all of them find their homes where God has created. Even lions, the most powerful animal we might imagine, They wait to receive their food from God. He's appointed the sun and the moon to mark the seasons, gives mankind meaningful labor under his sovereign care. See, God is giving good gifts to all his creation because he delights in it. Look again at verses 16 to 18. These verses tell us that God not only gives us food to eat, but also wine to gladden the heart and oil to make our faces shine. You see, the psalmist's point here is that God goes above and beyond what we need to give us good things. Uh, You know, God has given us good things like wine and oil, pizza and soda, anything you can imagine, God has gone above and beyond. I mean, we might laugh, but think about it. We could survive on bread and water, and we could get along that way, but God has given us all kinds of different foods to eat. There's not just one kind of fruit. There's not even just one kind of apple. God has given us an overabundant amount, overabundant variety, because he loves us and he wants, to us, wants us to enjoy his good earth. Most of the time, we don't really wonder if we're going to eat, but what we're going to eat. We have so many options, and all of those are good gifts from God. And so when we see God's good gifts, we should be led to worship him. You see, one of Satan's chief strategies to mislead and deceive Christians is to tempt us to think that God is holding something back from us. Uh, You know, some people have described religion as as the sneaking suspicion that someone somewhere is having fun. Um, Unfortunately, some Christians might actually think that's how God feels. But think back to the Garden of Eden. Satan's temptation to Eve, part of it, 
was to, was to get her to think that God told them not to eat of the fruit because he was afraid that they would become like him. In other words, Eve was led to believe that God's command was not for her good. She was led to believe that his commands were arbitrary and that God was holding something back from her. She was deceived because she did not remember that God was good. But in this psalm, we learn that God is the God of pleasure, the God of delight, of happiness, and of joy. In the New Testament, James says that every good and perfect, every good and perfect gift comes from God above. And so we should enjoy our food. We should raise a toast and enjoy a hearty Thanksgiving meal because God is good and God loves us. And we should do that to the glory of God. We should delight in all these things, giving thanks to the Lord. One of my favorite descriptions of God's delight in creation comes in verses 25 to 26, if you look there with me. This describes the sea. I don't know about you, but the ocean was always kind of terrifying and fascinating to me. I can remember swimming, as a, swimming at the beach as a kid, and you know, a clump of seaweed or something passes under your legs, and you get freaked out because you think it's a shark, and you're ready to start screaming, running up to the shore. Um, or, or maybe you've seen those nature documentaries, and all the wonderful but also absolutely terrifying things that are under the ocean. Uh, sharks, giant squids, anglerfish, you know, who knows what else is down there. Some pictures that, of the sea creatures that you might see, they almost look like something straight out of a sci-fi movie. Uh, but they're real and they're down there. Uh, in some ways, the ocean kind of is like another planet. It's estimated that some, something like 95% of it is still unexplored. More people have been to the moon than have been to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. But if the ocean is foreign to us, it was even more so to the ancient Israelites. Uh, throughout the ancient Near East, the sea was always associated with chaos and the unknown. And so it's pretty amazing that the psalmist says here in verses 25 to 26, here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and small. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. You see, the word Leviathan is uh, this, this idea of this terrifying sea creature, this monster. It's usually associated with chaos. Uh, and yet, God says that the Leviathan, this sea creature, was made by God to play in the ocean. Or maybe some of your Bibles say in a footnote, if you look down, that you form to play with. So the idea might even be that God is playing with this sea creature in the ocean. This is kind of amazing. He's saying here that Leviathan, this, horror, this amazing sea monster, is nothing more than a rubber ducky that God put in the ocean <laughs> to play with, right? It's, it's almost like it's his puppy dog that he's teaching to do cool tricks. You could picture a blue whale, which can be anywhere from 80 to 100 feet long and weighing 300,000 pounds. That massive creature is God's pet that he put in the ocean to play with because he delights in his creatures. Now, verses 27 to 30 sum up all of creation's response to God. See, according to the psalm, the animal world does not just run on natural processes alone. All creatures look to God for everything. 
It says he gives them food in due season. When he opens his hands, they are filled with good things. In verse 29, it shows how in life and death, we're all dependent on the Lord, even for the very breath in our lungs. And verse 30 speaks of how the earth is renewed day by day by the Holy Spirit. That's something we might kind of take note more of in the spring. Uh, But, you know, God is always upholding and sustaining the world. All of creation is dependent on God for everything. All creatures look to God for their every need. And yet, it's only us, we humans, who think we're foolish enough, or who are foolish enough, to think we don't need God, to think that we could live alone. You know, how many times, uh, let's just kind of be honest with ourselves, how many times have you gone through the day with barely a single thought about God or a single word of thankfulness? I know there's been times where my head has hit the pillow at night, and I realized I never once prayed throughout the day, and so I'll try to squeeze one in real quick before I fall asleep, as if, you know, hoping that counts. You know, maybe we pray the Lord's Prayer and say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, but we don't really mean it. I mean, we can go get a loaf of bread anytime we want from the pantry. Uh, We live in God's world every day, and yet we don't really spend much time acknowledging that. We have so many gadgets and luxuries that we're able to deceive ourselves into thinking we don't really need him. We're kind of like the spoiled kid at a birthday party. We open up the gifts that God gives us, but we don't thank him or acknowledge them. We kind of just throw the gift aside and tear into the next one until we get bored of that. And then even with all the good things we have, we're still not content. We're restless. We jump from one thing to the next, hoping that something will satisfy. But this psalm directs us to find our joy in the God who delights in us. And now, if anything I just said sounds a bit like us, we need to look again at verses 31 to 35. According to verse 31, the reason anything exists at all is because God made it and he delights in it. Um, he said, the, the psalmist says that God's glory will, will endure forever. Even as this world passes away, God's glory will remain. He rejoices in his works and the world that he made. He wants us to do the same thing. Look at verse 32, he's uh, the all-powerful God of creation. The earth trembles when he looks at it. Mountains explode in smoke and ash when he touches them. You know, this is powerful language, reminding us again of how powerful the Lord is. And therefore, we should praise him. And that's what the psalmist does in verses 33 to 34. He resolves to praise the Lord as long as he lives, rejoicing greatly before him. He asks that his meditation, his very thoughts, would be pleasing to God as he, as he depends on him. And so all these amazing truths about creation should lead us to praise. Do you want, us, do you want to praise him? Uh, you know, God is inviting us to join in him, rejoicing over the good world that he's created, enjoying its pleasures, and giving all the glory to him because of it. But the problem of course, is we often don't enjoy it or we don't enjoy it like we should. In verse 35, you may have noticed this as the scripture was read, the psalmist speaks about our sin. He says, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Now, that almost seems to come like out of total left field. 
the whole psalm, uh, the psalmist has been praising the Lord for creation. And then all of a sudden he brings up this sin and the destruction of sinners at the end. Why? Well, as it turns out, I don't think it's that random after all. I think the psalmist realizes exactly the same attitudes that we've just been talking about. He knows that in our sin, we don't give God the glory, uh, and we don't live the way that we're supposed to. We sin and rebel against him, and one day God will bring judgment upon sinners. And yet, this psalm shows us that God is good and gracious with his creatures, and therefore we can trust him with our lives. So, do you praise God for the good things that he gives you? Or do you just use them and are done with them? Are you trusting in his purposes for you? Or are you resisting and going after your own way? You know, those are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves. God is calling us to lay our lives before him, depending on him for our very breath. And even though we're sinners, the good news is that God is slow to anger and rich in love. He's provided us a way through Jesus Christ, his only son, who took our punishment, took our sin, uh, and through his death and resurrection, we have eternal life. Through faith in Jesus, we have a restored relationship to God, where we now can use creation in thanks to him and overflowing with praise. And in Christ, God's care for us takes on a whole new meaning. He's not just our creator, he's our savior. And for that, we should give him thanks. And so when we see God's power and glory in creation, we should be led to praise him. This is something we all know. It's just not something we always do. Kids, maybe this is something as easy as simply saying, thank you, God, every time you see something that's really cool. Parents or families, maybe we need to cultivate conversations about uh, creation as a family um, or at, you know, with our friends. Maybe down in Coffee Cafe, you can talk about the last hike you took and the things you saw and what that taught you about God. For us adults, I'm sure the major challenge is kind of presence of mind to really see creation and uh, thank the Lord for it. Maybe we need to cultivate a childlike sense of wonder again to see God's goodness and rejoice in it. Uh, and so maybe today we should have some conversations about God's goodness and glory and creation. May we, may we be able to say with the psalmist in verse 34, May my meditation be pleasing to you, God, for I rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Let's praise him together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you truly are an amazing God who's made an amazing world. Thank you for all you have created. Help us to see your glory more and more in our everyday lives, to stop and take notice of the world around us, seeing how it all points to you. Help us, Lord, to receive the good things that you give us with thankfulness, to not just be thankful on Thanksgiving, but all the time. And as we reflect on the goodness of your creation, uh, Lord, may it create in us a, a longing more and more for the new creation. When sin will be defeated, when death will be no more, and when we will see you face to face. We pray all this in hope, trusting in your steadfast love. Amen.